Welcome to the Nurse Becoming podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri from the Resume RX, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to empowering and encouraging nurses along your path of professional and self discovery. As a nurse practitioner, mom, and business owner, I'm on a mission to help you figure out how to leave your lasting impact on the world, all while bravely and fearlessly growing along the way. Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth, all through the lens of nursing. Well, hey there. Welcome back to the Nurse Becoming Podcast. It's your host here, Amanda Guarneri. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today, I am really excited to feature another special guest. I have Monica, the NP, on the show today. And Monica is going to talk all about negotiation. This is Monica's expertise. She is the creator of the Compensation Course, which is a program that teaches nurse practitioners all about negotiation. And in our conversation today, we dive into some really great tips and details about the process of negotiation. So not only do we talk about kind of the mindset that's required to negotiate and the strategy and tactics and language required to negotiate. But we also talked about kind of other perks that you can negotiate other than salary and how a small negotiation at the beginning of your career can really shave off eight years of working time on the back end before retirement. When you hear this tip, you are going to be really shocked about this statistic. And for any nurse practitioner moms who are listening, at the end, we had a great conversation about what are some specific things to negotiate that are really mom or parent friendly when it comes to your NP contract. So we have some gems, whether you are an NP, whether you are an NP student, or whether you are a nurse, you will definitely be able to extract some really great advice from this episode. So without further ado, I will hit play on my interview with Monica Carter. Hey, welcome back. I am really excited to introduce to you Monica Carter as my guest today. Monica is a nurse practitioner. She's a mom of triplets, which we will get to at some point in the conversation. And she is an expert on negotiation and contracts. So we are going to talk all about that today. Conversation will be geared towards nurse practitioners, but if you are not yet a nurse practitioner or if you're in the nursing audience, you will definitely be able to take some gems from this conversation. So, hey, Monica, thank you so much for being here. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. So I would love for you to start by introducing yourself a little bit, talking about kind of who you are, talking about yourself as an NP and kind of how you help others in this area of negotiation. All right. So as Amanda said, my name is Monica Carter. I am a mom of triplets, which to me is still insane. I I cannot believe it. I look at their faces and I'm always like, how in the world are there three of you? How did this happen? So I am a mom of triplets. Um, I'm a family nurse practitioner. I work in Washington, D.C. in obstetrics and gynecology. Um, I've been in nursing for over a decade. So I started off as a labor and delivery nurse and became an FNP and wanted to stay in the women's health arena. So I am in a clinic that serves women. I'm the creator of the compensation course. And this is my baby. This is like, my bread and butter, and it 
it just makes me so proud every time I think about it because I thought of the compensation course probably about four to five years ago. And it took me about three years to write it, to film it, to edit it. Also, I was pregnant with triplets and I was on bed rest and gosh, the story is just (laughs) really involved. But it took me a while because I had some life events, but I'm just so excited because the compensation course has launched and um, nurse practitioners and nurse practitioner students are taking it and loving it and they're, they're, they're getting great results. So the compensation course is a guide for nurse practitioners. And like I said, NP students, new grads, seasoned NPs, it's really for everyone for them to really learn how to negotiate the job of their dreams. I'm teaching skills. I teach the language. I give the tools so that really NPs can walk away feeling happy, really having a contract or a job that makes them happy. And to me, it's so much more than salary. Yes, I do teach about salary and productivity bonuses and RVUs and kind of how to level up in that way. But there's just so many factors in the job space that can make or break your happiness. And it it can have to do with job culture. It can have to do with your hours. So the compensation course is a full guide that teaches all of that. That is so awesome. (laughs) I just, every time you talk about it, I'm just in awe because, you know, we kind of joke that you pick up a little bit where I leave off in terms of where we help NPs. And I just think that that's so phenomenal. And your course has been getting some rave reviews. So it's obviously a gem. Can you tell me a little bit about kind of like where the idea came from? I know, I know a little bit of the story, but I'd love for you to share um, kind of how you got the idea, because I think that it's linked to something that happened in your own career. Is that correct? Yes. So, you know, coming up with the compensation course and really just becoming passionate about negotiating, teaching nurse practitioners to negotiate. And really, I'm going to even go as far to say teaching women to negotiate, just women in general. It came from a few of my own experiences. So I don't want to take up the entire time talking about it, but kind of quickly, there was a few different things. So I'll start kind of going all the way back. As a new grad nurse practitioner, I applied to what I felt was my dream job. It was in the city in which I wanted to work. It was in the specialty in which I wanted to work, which was obstetrics and gynecology. And really, it was just perfect. And in the interview, my soon-to-be boss asked, she asked me the salary that I was thinking for this job. And I, and I blurted out kind of a mediocre but kind of respectable number that wasn't technically what I wanted, but I knew there were other applicants. I was nervous that if I aimed too high, they would pick someone else, and I really wanted this job. So the number I told them is what I got. It's exactly what I got. And, you know, some people would be excited about that, but I wasn't because I knew I kind of played myself. I didn't, you know, say the number that was a little bit higher that I should have been starting at because I wanted to be safe. I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to seem quote unquote greedy, which I'll tell you guys later is not a thing. So I got what I asked for. Then I kind of got my gusto up and, you know, puffed out my chest and I was like, you know what, I'm going to negotiate now. Now is actually the time to negotiate. So when I asked for more money, the answer was no. And I kind of went back and forth with them. But what happened was they ended up giving me $2,500 more in education money. So this is money that I could do continuing education, go to a conference, update, just kind of like my learning with CMEs. So it kind of felt good. I didn't get more money for salary, but I had that little mini win. And that was like my first taste in negotiating. And I kind of felt that adrenaline rush, like, wow, if you go back and forth, you could end up getting something that you want. 
And really the only thing you have to do is ask and be persistent and be consistent. So that was kind of like my first case. Fast forward, I'm working in the job, I'm loving it. And I noticed the other nurse practitioner has two administrative sessions. So admin sessions are sessions in which um, they're part of the workday, but you're not slated to see patients. So this is time I can, you know, call patients, I can check labs, I can really do whatever I need to do. Admin time, obviously, is going to help you to not be burnt out because you have time during the day where you can do other work besides see patients. You can catch up on your charting, et cetera. So she had two half-day sessions and I had one. Now she had been there two years more than me. So I was like, hmm, I don't, I don't know what that's about, but I want two sessions. And, you know, now I'm kind of like feeling almost entitled, which is so ridiculous when I look back to it, but I was kind of feeling entitled. Like, you know what? I want two admin sessions too. So I went to our division director, um, one of the physicians, and I was like, hey, Dr. So-and-so, I noticed that, you know, the other MP has two sessions and I have one. I just wanted to go ahead and get two as well. And she said no. And I was so confused. And I was like, oh, well, why does she have two and I have one? And she said, oh, because, you know, she's on these different committees and she has other administrative tasks that she does for the office, which I found that was actually not true. And I said, okay. So then I went back and I want y'all to stay with me. This is the second part of the threefold of why I created the course. So the first was my poor negotiation skills, but I got a little mini one. And now I'm talking about this admin time. So basically the long story short, I went to her again and I basically filibustered her. I mean, like I went in her office And I like wouldn't leave until she gave me two admin sessions. I felt so badass. I'm like, look, I'm not leaving until I get two sessions. And she was so sick of me that she was like, Monica, they're yours. You can have two. And I was like, oh, thank you. And I like basically blew her a kiss and marched off and just felt so excited. And that taught me it really doesn't matter how it happens. It doesn't really matter how the other person feels. When you kind of get what you want, then I got really, I mean, some work-life balance because now I too had two half-day sessions. So that was the second. And the third was the most uncomfortable part of the story. And that is when I asked for a raise. I asked my boss for a raise. I asked for some type of productivity bonus structure. And I really spent nine months in meetings with her going back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, because I work in a clinic that's attached to a hospital, a lot of nursing is tiered pay. So they're not just, you know, giving people raises, you know, merit-based raises all willy-nilly. You know, they're like, well, Monica, you already make this much. And there's nurse practitioners who have been here longer than you that make this much. You can't make more than them. And back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it got uncomfortable. And honestly, there were some really sour moments. And in the end, I actually got what I asked for and more. It was uncomfortable. And, and I'm and I'm saying this story and I kind of cut the story short because I think the point of this part of the story is negotiating can feel uncomfortable. You know, in a business, it doesn't behoove the business owner or the person in charge to just hand out money. You know, I always tell my students and I tell people, no one is just handing out money. It doesn't matter how great you are. It doesn't matter how many patients you see. It doesn't matter how nice you are, how many committees you're on, how many times you say yes, come in early, leave late. You think these things will get you more money, but the truth is it gets you like, kudos chips, pizza parties, you know, gift cards, anything to say, hey, we value you, but we're not going to give you more money because you have to ask for that. 
you have to get uncomfortable. And my best advice is to lean into the discomfort, whether it's that first time I met my boss and said that ridiculous number, or whether it's the second time that I filibustered her face-to-face for like 30 minutes telling her why I needed two sessions, or if it's the third time where I literally went back and forth for nine months in this uncomfortable, and the thing is, I like my boss, but it was still uncomfortable. And I know she was just hoping like, gosh, Monica, just stop asking. Like, just it's just so much easier if you just don't ask anymore. And everyone hopes that. But my advice is lean into the discomfort and get comfortable being uncomfortable. Because if you have that, if you are okay with that, you will come out getting what you want. I can almost guarantee it. So I created the compensation course because I wanted to teach you all that confidence. I wanted to teach you know, I wanted to teach nurse practitioner students that, you know, you can have that first meeting and say a number that you actually want. Teach new grads, you can go to your boss after starting the job and pivot to get something you want, like more admin time. Or teach the seasoned MPs, you can go ask for a raise, a merit-based raise, and you can get uncomfortable and you can still get what you want. And that's like my long, three-fold story as to why I created the compensation course. That is just such phenomenal advice. I'm over here like typing these gems of quotes that you are saying, like no one is just (laughs) handing out money and lean into the discomfort. And I think that's so true. And you said something at the very beginning, you said that could this be related to the fact that women have more trouble negotiating? Um, And I, I feel like there's this sense of unworthiness that we can have, whether it's as women or as new NPs or or people who feel like if we feel imposter syndrome, we can feel unworthy. And so I'm wondering your thoughts on that and like what comes first? Do we have to feel confident before we can negotiate? You know what? I honestly think sometimes starting to negotiate can help you build confidence. I think sometimes stepping out there and doing anything that scares you, the outcome helps you to build confidence. I actually don't think you have to have the utmost confidence going in. I think sometimes you just need a loving nudge from someone who says, look, just go and do it. Just do it. I mean, because I think most things we do in life, we do it scared. And I think the best things we do in life, we do scared, whether it's marriage, whether it's getting pregnant, having kids, whether it's starting a business, going back to school, moving across the country. Most great things come from just really taking a leap of faith. So I don't think that you have to be the most confident person to negotiate, but I do believe that negotiating will make you a confident person. Because once you realize that like you didn't die, you didn't get fired, people don't hate you, and you might even actually get a little bit of what you want, I think it actually builds confidence. And that's what happened for me. I don't know that I was that confident going into this. I actually know that I wasn't. But now I feel very confident. And with experience comes confidence. When you start seeing patients and when you start diagnosing patients correctly and you have patients come and thank you and patients start rescheduling with you the next year, you're like, wow, maybe I'm like kind of a good MP. And that builds confidence. And then when you have your colleagues send patients to you or when you have, and I always joke that, you know, the, the ultimate is when the physicians schedule their annual exam with you. I'm like, oh, you want to see me, the nurse <laughs> practitioner for your annual? Oh my goodness. That builds confidence. So I definitely think taking a leap of faith while scared, um, the outcome is confidence built because it gives you experience and you will hear no. And I think hearing no helps to build confidence. And I, I know that sounds backwards, but I think 
after you have some no's and you realize that your life isn't over, like I said, and you didn't die and you didn't get fired and all isn't lost, you're like, okay, a closed door is actually not the worst thing. I totally agree. And I'm so glad that you that you said that, that kind of confidence can be a byproduct, a, a good byproduct. Person, yeah. If you're insecure, if you don't feel like you're confident, that's okay. You don't have to be. It will get there. Yeah, definitely. I love that. So I want to know, do you think that you have or you had any particular personality traits that made you more successful in your kind of first attempt in this negotiation experience? Like, do you think that there are some personality types that would innately do better or like some things that some people need to practice? What do you think about that? Yeah. So I would say something that probably helps me is, um, I am, I'm truly a people person and I will say I love people and I've always just naturally loved people, people from all walks of life who look like me, who don't look like me. I just, I love people, old, young, it really just doesn't matter. So because I love people, I'm always interested in and endeared by what makes us different and kind of, you know, I always believe everyone has a little bit of good in them. Everyone has a little bit of humor in them. Everyone has a little bit of humanity in them. And I think feeling that way allows me to be endearing towards people. So, you know, I learned a long time ago, everyone wants to feel like the only person in the room. Everyone wants to feel special. You know, everyone wants to be like, you know, if you've gotten to the point of your life where you're like, I'm no longer a people pleaser. I don't need people's validation. Honestly, we all want to be liked. We want, you know, to like others and be liked. So I think knowing that allows me to negotiate while still being kind and still being personable and still being human and and just making this like a conversation, just like I'm talking to you guys and to Amanda right now, like, hey, you know, really thinking more of this number as opposed to this number, like, what can we do to get me closer to this salary? Or, you know, honestly, like with the kids and, you know, with, that, with what I have going on at home, really, if I could just start at 730, I could see patients early, which would be a great bonus for the practice. And I could end at three and that way I could get my kids from daycare. I I mean, is there any way I can start earlier? I mean, is there a nurse that would want to do the early start with me? You know, um, Sarah, the nurse, she's a mom. Maybe she wants to come in early and, and work with me in the morning. So when I think with negotiating, it can be a conversation. And I really think that that is something that men do well and that women, we get nervous about because again, we don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to seem greedy. We don't want someone to not like us. Whereas men are just kind of like, oh yeah, can I, can I start at seven and then at three? Yeah, that, that sounds like that works, right? And it's like, oh, that's it. And we like, we have graphs and tables and we have research done and we've gone on Indeed and Glassdoor and everything else. And it's like a binder. And we're like, hi, this is my proposal to start work two hours early and end two hours early. And, you know, so I would say that being good to people, obviously being of good character, treating people well, and then just like understanding everyone's human and kind of finding how you connect with someone, I think makes negotiating easier. I always say, you know, sometimes it's not what you're asking for, it's who you're asking. Find out in your office who has your back, like who is watching out for you. That might be the person you want to go to first. So yeah, I I think that that is something about my character that kind of helps kind of just to be able to charm people to be direct, but endearing. and, And again, kind of have that conversation, have a conversation tone. 
Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I know you and I have talked about this before about how being conversational when it comes to having a negotiation discussion is really what's important because it's so easy to let there be some sort of power play or to let it be emotional, especially if you're like not a cisgendered white man, essentially. You know, it's so easy to make things emotional, read into them too much and kind of assume that things aren't going to go well in the discussion because it's so much of a power play discussion. But I love your advice of making it conversational and um, it's not what you're asking, it's who you're asking is a really, really great piece of advice. And do you think that, you know, when it comes to the actual negotiation, what do you think is more important? Do you think it's more important to have like specific strategies in terms of the questions you're going to ask, how you're going to ask them, the actual pieces of things you're going to negotiate for? Or do you think that mindset is more important? Or is it a combination of both? The funny thing is, so Amanda had kind of given me like a little hint of some of the things that we would talk about today. And I told myself I wasn't going to say this, but I am. So when I saw strategies, tactics versus mindset, which is more important, I immediately went to, I don't know if anyone follows Sarah Cooper. She basically mouths what Donald Trump says. So she's on Instagram, Sarah Cooper. She's become quite the star and she basically mouths what he said. So he was being interviewed and he was asked about the Bible and he was asked, what is your favorite, either the Old Testament or the New Testament? So the Old Testament versus the New Testament. So when I saw Amanda asked me strategies and tactics versus mindset, the first thing I went to was Sarah Cooper mouthing Donald Trump when he was asked, which is his favorite, the Old Testament or New Testament? He said, uh, he looked back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he said equal. So <laughs> um, not that this is the person I want to quote, but... <laughs> Okay. I don't know that one is more important. I will say that mindset first, then strategy and tactics, you know, having the mindset that you want more, that you deserve more, that you want to be happy and that you deserve to be happy at your job, that being a nurse practitioner does not mean that you're a workhorse. It does not mean that you're just going to do all the grunt work. It does not mean you're going to work long hours, chart all night and not get paid. Having the mindset that that's just not what it's going to be. I think that's important because you know, and I know Amanda has already talked to you guys about how oversaturation is not the issue, but I think what happens is we're nervous. We're saying, oh my gosh, it's so saturated. There's no jobs. I have a job. I need to just shut up, do my job and be happy with this. That is actually not true. It's not true. Sure. We have to sacrifice. Sure. There's some compromises, but I think having the mindset of, you know, I want to be fulfilled is important. And then getting the strategies and tactics to ask for what you want and prioritize what's important to you, I think, then that comes next. Yeah, totally. I think that, you know, we have to say to ourselves that also we deserve what we want too. You know, there's not only just, you know, what we what we really want to have, but we need to, you know, innately believe that we deserve those things too. And I think that is a really hard, like that requires practice being able to admit and acknowledge what you're worthy of. And you're worthy of not being a workhorse and having, you know, a job that treats you like you're kind of like a cog in the wheel. And Mm -hmm. I, I think that you're totally right that, especially when we hear things, you know, in terms of the job market and, you know, there's 
unemployment, so we should feel fortunate to even be employed, that doesn't mean that we're still not worthy of respectful employment. So I'm so happy to hear you say that mindset is important. And maybe it was kind of a trick question when I put that <laughs> on there, because I do, I do believe that both are really important too. And I think that- it did- give me a laugh. I'm telling you, I, yeah. I was like, mindset versus strategy. Uh, equal. No, <laughs> you know, I'm going to, I'm going to link that. I'm going to put that in the show notes so that people can get a laugh and watch that. <laughs> it's such a, Oh, it's so funny. She's hilarious. Yeah. I, I think it's important. And I, and I was going to tell you guys that the value of negotiation, and I just use this example just because I think it's so important. There was a famous study done by Linda Babcock and she had a book, women don't ask. And basically, she said only 7% of women attempted to negotiate their first salary, while 57% of men did. Of those people who negotiated, they were able to increase their salary by 7%. It might not sound like much, but as Stanford negotiation professor Margaret Neal puts, if you get a $100,000 salary and your coworker negotiates up to 107000 assuming you're treated identically from then on, with the same raises and the same promotions, you would have to work eight years longer to be as wealthy as them at retirement. So when I say that, I'm saying it to tell you every bit counts. Every bit counts. Just that 7000 that they negotiated up, if you're treated identically, you would have to work eight years longer to be as wealthy as them at retirement. And I just, I think that that's astonishing. And I love numbers and I love math. And I'm just saying this to say that you know, sometimes if you get a two or three or $4,000 raise and you're like, uh, it's nothing, it actually is something. So yeah, anyway, okay, back that, to the, yeah, back no, to that the is, questions. That is, so, that is so super valuable. And yeah, you're totally right. Like at the beginning of your career, you know, six, $7,000 when you're talking about a hundred doesn't seem like a lot, but the same way interest compounds over time, your salary oh gosh, yes. increased exponentially, right? Because then next year, when you each get a 5% raise, that 5% raise is going to be that much more on the $107,000 versus the $100,000. So exactly. Um, yeah. And over a lifetime of a career, it turns into an eight years difference in, in wealth. That is astonishing. I think I'm going to need to make a graph. <laughs> I need to make a graph and post that somewhere because yeah, that's, yeah. I think when you, when you put that into that type of numerical side-by-side perspective, it, yeah, it really just kind of justifies why we need to be doing this, why we need to be getting uncomfortable and leaning into that discomfort. Hey, listen up, nurse practitioners and NP students. I'm about to go against the grain here with an unpopular opinion. Have you heard that the NP job market is oversaturated and that you will absolutely struggle to find a job, let alone a job that you love? Well, I'm here to call that out and say that oversaturation is not the problem. And I feel so strongly about this that I recorded a free training for you called Oversaturation Isn't the Problem. And this training explains exactly why spreading this message is actually a problem. And it goes over the other mistakes that may be keeping you from your dream NP job. So it's a totally free on-demand video training. You can watch it at theresumerx.com slash NP class. That's theresumerx.com slash NP class, all one word. It runs about 35 minutes and I can guarantee that you will have some serious aha moments during the training. And while you're watching, go ahead and screenshot the training and tag me on Instagram at theresumerx so that I know that you're watching. I cannot wait to hear what you think.
So maybe now is a good time to talk about a couple specific strategies. So I kind of thought that we could talk about things other than salary that you thought would be good to negotiate. And then we can talk about kind of the specifics, like when should the negotiation discussion happen and should it happen in person, by email or phone? So I'd love to hear your kind of best tips about those things. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as for the nurse practitioners um, that are listening, there's so many things that can be negotiated other than salary. And I kind of touched on a few of them already. So money for education. So money to go to conferences, money for continuing education, time off to go to the conference. So instead of using your PTO or your sick time, you can use quote unquote education days. So you can ask for three to five days that you can have off each year to attend these conferences. Um, New grads, you can ask for orientation time. So time where you're following a nurse practitioner or a PA or a physician to get the lay of the land, kind of feel the kind of how the flow of the clinic goes or the flow of the job. You can ask for a modified schedule. New grads, you know, if you're thrown in there and they're asking you to see 15, 20 patients a day on your first day, you are going to feel terribly overwhelmed. You're going to probably not be loving the NP world at all. But if you have five patients in the morning and five in the afternoon, it's going to feel more doable. So you can ask or negotiate a modified schedule. You can negotiate your schedule in general. So do you want to work four tens, three twelves, five eights? Do you want to start at seven in the morning? Do you want to start later and end in, in later? Maybe the clinic would love having a provider there who's there until 6 p.m. for all the people who can't get off of work during the day, that could be a huge perk. And maybe you start at 10 a.m. or something like that. You can negotiate, I mean, your malpractice insurance being paid for, your licensing, getting paid off, administrative time, like I drove home earlier. I mean, there's just so many, there's so many perks that NPs can negotiate for. And like I said earlier, salary isn't everything. Of course, we want a great salary. Of course, you want those raises and you want to feel valued. And everybody wants six figures, let's be honest. But the truth is, I have a lot of a lot of my students who don't make six figures, but they have incredible perks. I mean, they're getting loan repayment. They have um, they're only working four days a week. They're off every Friday. You know, there's incredible perks that you can get that make a compensation package attractive, and it's not just the salary. And it's talking about just like when when should the discussion happen? I mean, it really depends. I think that if you've gotten an offer, it's a good time to talk about these things. You know, some things you want to know up front, you know, when you're interviewing, when they're asking you questions and you're asking them questions, I always think it's important to kind of get a feel for the culture of the job, just because I really feel kind of the work culture, in my opinion, really makes or breaks your experience. When you're interviewing with the person, if you like them, if they're kind of warm, if they're personable, maybe they're a parent like you are, they're kind of reasonable people, that's always just a good sign. If the person says, you know, hey, you know, if your kid's sick, too bad, like you cannot leave. There's no one who can see these patients. You have to stay. Like that might not work if you're a mom or if you're a single parent. So understanding the work culture, I think is important. So that kind of stuff can happen early on. But after an offer, I think is a great time to start going back and forth about the compensation package. Awesome. And do you think, do you have a preference on like how this conversation should go. I'm a fan of email personally because I like to not only have a paper trail, but have time to think over my response before I say it. Do you think that phone or in-person is better than email? 
So I would say that for nurse practitioners who have been working in a practice and you're trying to change your contract or your compensation package, you want a salary increase, you want a productivity bonus, whatever you want. I think in-person works well. Basically, my quote-unquote method for current MPs that are pretty okay at their practice and they have decent relationships, I would shoot an email to your boss and say, hey, Kathy, wanted to chat. Do you have a few minutes this week? If so, let me know when. And Kathy can say, sure. How about Thursday at noon? You say, okay, great. Now, if Kathy says to you, oh, well, what do you want to talk about? You can email back. I'd rather just talk about it in person. Okay. So Kathy doesn't have the one up. You do. So you go see Kathy in person on Thursday at noon, like we said, and sit down and say, hey, Kathy, this is what's going on. After the in-person discussion, I like to follow it up with email. Hey, Kathy, so great talking to you today. Um, again, I'm really excited about the possibility of, you know, receiving an XY increase. Do you think we can try to figure this out by closing business on this day? Or when can we talk again about this? Always end your emails with a question because you want to continue a conversation. So if you're a current MP, you're decently liked and things are pretty good in your practice, I think an email to set the meeting and then an in-person and the following of an email is a great way to have the human connection plus the paper trail. Otherwise, I agree with Amanda. I like the email, especially if you're um, just going back and forth with negotiations for a new practice. If you're new, I think email works well. Um, the phone, I think with the same thing with the in-person, if you're on the phone, you do need to follow it up with an email. And my biggest advice to all of you would be, do not feel that you have to have an answer during an in-person or a phone conversation. Mm. The problem with in-person and phone conversations is a person who you're talking to is probably more experienced than you. And it's very easy to kind of bully you into agreeing to whatever they're saying. And whatever they're saying is probably going to benefit them way more than you. Saying, okay, that sounds good, Kathy. You know what? Let me take a day to think about it and I'll get back to you. Or, okay, you know what? Let me kind of run the numbers and just think this over. And can we plan a talk again on Friday? Or you can say, you know what, this is a lot of great information. I'm going to just kind of work through it and then let's plan to talk on Monday. How does that sound? Question mark. So make sure you're not just saying yes, 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 because you're overwhelmed. The numbers are like circling your head. You know, maybe they're making you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Like I said, lean into the discomfort and stop the conversation. Never feel as though you have to make a decision or sign the dotted line in person right then and there. That is such gold because I am such a nervous agreeer. <laughs> like if, <laughs> if I'm nervous and I'm uncomfortable, you know, I, I really need to train myself. The reflex should be no or ending the conversation and saying, let's talk about this when I'm not in survival mode. But yeah, I will just, I have done that before, whether it's when I'm a patient, whether I'm with the patient or talking to someone who I'm uncomfortable with, I will just nervously agree. So that is such great advice. Give yourself time to think it over and end the conversation cordially and say, you know, let's revisit this so that I can take some time. I've actually heard from a couple of clients of mine, students of mine who are new NPs who have gone into interviews and nervously agreed to a job that they didn't actually like. And once they got home and had time to think about it, they realized, gosh, I don't, I didn't actually want to sign that paper. What do I do now? So that is just a great piece of advice for life in general, but especially for employment-based discussions. Yeah. I mean, we all do it. I know I do. It's, and it's something that I've been working very hard at to the point where I actually have to create language so that I remember 
what to say. I have a girlfriend who, you know, her ex-boyfriend used to always ask her for money. And it was a certain point where she was like, you know what? I cannot give this man any more money. And I told her, I was like, you need to figure out something to say, like, like a reflex, like it's already ready in your back pocket. And she's like, well, I feel bad because I have the money. And I said, well, maybe it's just not in your budget. And she's like, oh my God, that's perfect. So when he was saying something, she was like, honestly, you know, it's just really not in my budget. Because saying that, it doesn't mean that you don't have the money. It just means that you haven't budgeted to give it to somebody else. So I think, you know, kind of coming up with a one-liner or something that you can say when you kind of feel cornered or you're feeling like you have to say yes is a great idea. (laughs) I made my mom do that because she says yes to everyone and everything. And although it's very happy and wonderful when I ask her to help me with these triplets, (laughs) I do want her to know how to, (laughs) I want her to know how to say no too. No, that is such great advice. I think that what I have been saying recently, rather rather than, yes, I'd love to do that. Yes, I'd love to consider that, you know, kind of putting that word consider, like that word consider is something that I'm trying to train my brain to say because it's a way for me to express that I'm interested in whatever the particular opportunity is. So I'm still kind of being nice and cordial, but I'm not saying, yes, I will definitely agree to that. So yeah, training your brain, you know, making a little mantra for yourself is absolutely a great idea. So I want to round out our conversation with revisiting the mom discussion. You and I are both moms. We both have three girls. I think if we ever had a play date, it would be actually like a small daycare (laughs) because we have so many girls. I was hoping that you would elaborate on some sort of perks that you see for moms. I know that a lot of nurses and nurse practitioners are also parents. So what are some things that we could negotiate that aren't necessarily salary related that you found are great mom perks? Yeah. So, yeah. So Amanda and I, we have a bunch of kids, but a bunch of littles. You'd never know it looking at us, I'd like to think. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So for the MP mamas out there, the first thing that comes to mind, obviously, is schedule, 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 schedule. Having some time Anything that you can negotiate having to do with not being at work physically is always good. So if you can do some telehealth, that could be something great to negotiate. Maybe a day of telehealth means that you can be home. You don't have to drive into work. You don't have to park. You don't have to get dressed. Even if your kids are in school or daycare, having some time at home with the kids is wonderful. Having time at home without the kids is wonderful. So negotiating your schedule so that you can either be more present for the kids or more present for yourself while they're away, I think that's gold. Um, If you really want to be soccer mom or you really want to be dance mom and you need to um, be able to take your kid to their dance practice at five because you're going to, you know, help backstage or whatever the case, I would say negotiate your schedule to start earlier and earlier, something like that. Or maybe if you want one day off a week. So anything that you can do with your schedule, I think is important. Um, Holidays, weekends, nights, making sure that the job you take doesn't have those, or if you can negotiate out of those, that's great. Because for a lot of us, holidays with our kids, I mean, that's just everything. Holidays with family. Weekends, a lot of us, it's just you and your spouse, or maybe if you're a single parent, just you on a weekend, you can't be at work and watch your kid, or you're going to be paying a ton in childcare. So being off during the weekend and the nights, I, I don't know about you guys, but like I have three toddlers and the nighttime routine is you know, it's a thing. So, you know, we have our book, we have our bath, we have, you know, so being there for their bedtime is special for me. It's important. And it kind of helps to keep just that consistency for them to sleep well and see me at night. So I would say definitely negotiating that out. 
if you have to take call, I would say if you can negotiate out of taking call, that would be great so that you're able to sleep at night. Yeah, those are some of the ones that come to, to my mind first as far as what MP moms should be asking for. I mean, it really honestly has all to do with schedule, <laughs> but really just I anything that kind of allows you to be more, more present. <laughs> totally. Um, when in my last position, so I've always worked in a hospital-based role. So there have been kind of 24-7 opportunities to work. And after the twins were born, I actually worked straight nights for almost three years. And I went down to part-time. So I was working two overnights per week and it worked out pretty well. Like it wasn't, it was a sacrifice that I had to make. Like I was a little bit of a zombie working, (laughs) working nights, but because we had childcare in our house. So we had like a a babysitter who came to our house. It worked out really well. And except I always felt like when so I would have to leave by 6.15. Some days my husband would get home at six o'clock and we would literally like high five in the driveway. <laughs> um, so those, maybe it wasn't ideal, but it in the job that I had where I couldn't work straight days and I didn't want to because I would be gone for the girl's entire day, like leave before they wake up, get back before they went to bed. It worked out for those like really young years. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that because I know a lot of nurses who prefer weekends. So they're going to be home with their kids all week and then they're part-time. So they just work Saturday, Sunday and their partner just kind of holds it down for the weekend. So, I mean, it really, for the moms out there, whatever works with your life best, that's what you want to negotiate, honestly. Yeah, definitely. And, and all that is like seasonal, you know, I kind of think that choosing a position or choosing a role where you can negotiate changes in your schedule and changes in those things as your season of life changes is really valuable because I don't think that working nights forever is really, you know, or even working weekends forever, like that could be at the detriment of your relationship with your partner. And, um, you know, if, if you're not having that family time because you're working, that can be, you know, that's a sacrifice. So figuring out, you know, your, what's important to you personally and making sure that you can get your schedule and all those other perks to reflect that I think is super valuable. I agree. I agree. Well, Monica, thank you so much for joining me today and giving all of your wisdom to my listeners. Uh, We will link to all of the compensation course and all of the great gems that you resourced um, in the show notes. But could you tell us if people wanted to hang out with you online, where they would find you? Do you have website, Instagram profile you'd like to share with us? Sure. So on Instagram, I'm give me more Monica. And I have a website, monicathenp.com. Let me think. Facebook, Monica the NP. So yeah, come hang out with me. Come check me out on Instagram. If you go to my website, all that's there as well. Um, the compensation course, you can click right into it from my website, monicathenp.com. So I'm looking forward to meeting some of you guys. And honestly, everyone in Amanda's network is amazing. I've met some of them before and they say, oh, I know Amanda. She sent me your way. Um, so I know that you guys are just really awesome people. Awesome. Well, I'm happy to send my people your way and Yeah. One last question. Is your course always open? Like someone could just join it today if they wanted? Yes. So the course is always open and it's a self-paced course. So it's 
you can buy the course. It's yours forever. You can take your time going through it. You can reach out to me for guidance. I have intimate Q&A sessions that we do about once every couple months. But like I said, you can always reach out to me with questions. I have a Facebook group where we kind of talk about contracts and people put their questions in the group and I answer them. So you can join our Facebook group. It's open. It's called the Compensation Course on Facebook. So yeah, the course is open for enrollment and it's waiting for you. Awesome. Well, that will be linked in the show notes. So everyone should head there when you're done listening and or driving or whatever you're doing. So thank you again, Monica. So happy to have you. And maybe we'll have you on again in the future. I think there's more to this discussion that we could probably talk about for another hour if we wanted. (laughs) I think so too. Thank you so much, Amanda. Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. If you found today's episode helpful, would you take a minute and give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? It will truly help other nurses find this show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.